Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test, based in Annapolis, Maryland, reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello, and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by King Randall I. King Randall is a 22-year-old community shifter and the founder of the X for Boys organization in Albany, Georgia, where the motto is, Let Us Make Man. Seeing a need to help enhance and advance the lives of the young men in his community, he set out to take action to combat the high poverty and crime rates in the southwest Georgia city. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to Anchored at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, Today, we have an amazing guest. We really do. This could be the best podcast we've ever had here. Um, King Randall, 22 years old, uh, community shifter and founder of the X for Boys organization in Albany, Georgia, where the motto is, let us make man. Um, King Randall, you're, you're kind of a celebrity. I mean, I see you. I feel like every time I turn on Fox News or something, like there you are. And now here we are just chatting. So thank you so much for being on the program. I appreciate you so much. I'm just a regular kid who had a father, no celebrity, none of that stuff. I'm just, <laughs> just a regular guy, I promise. Awesome. And we have uh, Aruba Asim back with us uh, as well. Uh, Aruba, love doing uh, the Anchored podcast with you and happy belated birthday to you uh, as well, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I, I love doing this podcast and I am truly, really excited for this episode because 22 years old and founder of, you know, the X for Boys is school. Like that is just amazing. 22, like for perspective, I'm 23 and I feel like I have not done that much in life. So this is awesome. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. Like you meet somebody who's super accomplished and they're like your own age. And then it's like, yeah. what am I doing? Oh no. Um, okay. Well, Hey, uh, Randall loves it to start off. Typically, you know, we'll start off the anchor podcast kind of, kind of digging in actually to childhood education. Um, mm-hmm. what, and, and especially the work you're doing now, I'm, I'm so curious to hear, um, what kind of schooling did you kind of get growing up? I got basic schooling. I went to the public school system. Um, I mean, I got, you know, good grades uh, growing up. I went to the regular high school, et cetera. And I graduated from high school. Uh, so my schooling wasn't special. I didn't go to a private school. Um, I live in one of the poorest cities in the country and uh, one of the most dangerous cities in the country in Albany, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's why I grew up. I grew up on the uh, we have it called the dark side of town. Uh, so I grew up on the dark side, uh, which is one of the more bad sides of town. But, um, you know, my mom wasn't poor or anything. You know, um, we still had a nice house and things like that. Um, and we grew our own food. Um, but, you know, that's that's how I grew up. Um, I didn't have any special school and just, you know, regular public school kid like everybody else. So. Hmm. Love that. And for our listeners who are not familiar with what the X is, and I'm always very interested in, in hearing kind of the story about the naming of something. I think names are really, really important in what they convey. And, and they. <laughs> You know, if you're if you're founding something new, a name is not something that you just kind of come up with on the fly. Typically, you'll mull over it for a long time. Um, so, tell us about what the 
X is and why you named it that and what made it, what motivated you to start it? Absolutely. Well, the X of voice program, uh, X simply means unknown. It's kind of like a math equation. You have to solve for X and the motto is let us make man. So us solving for X is teaching a boy how to be a man. Um, so that's like our little math equation. Um, and of course, the Life Preparatory School for Boys, which will be the name of our school, uh, is, is self-explanatory. It's life prep. We're preparing them for life. Uh, so right now, we're sort of trying to come up with a mascot. We're not sure. We got the boys voting on it. I'm trying to figure out what our mascot is going to be. So we're still we're still figuring that part out. But it'll be the Life Preparatory School for Boys. Um, and you know, I started the organization when I was 19 years old, three years ago, January 28th, uh, 2019. Wow. Um, I started it simply because of so many things that I see going on in the city of Albany. Um, I actually had one of my classmates uh, get go to jail, um, you know, for hiding a gun. Um, and he wasn't actually at the actual murder, but he hit the gun, you know, and they gave him 30 years for that. And he and I are the same age. And I sat in the courtroom, you know, uh, like this is insane, you know, but the other kids, he was the oldest one. And, and I, you know, he and I are the same age at the time. I think he was, he was about 20, 21 at that time. Um, and it was insane just to see him get sentenced to that amount of time. And I'm, you know, the same age. I'm like, man, this is a long time. Like, this is insane for him not to have been there. And but everybody else that was that were actually there were younger. Like, they were 16 and 15 and 17. You know, these kids. And so every time something happens in the city of Albany, we have all these stop the violence meetings, and everybody wants to have a community meeting and a come together meeting and meetings and meetings and meetings, and nothing's ever getting actually done. Mm. Um, and I wanted to actually do some work, so you know I just started uh, doing things with kids in the city of Albany. I started taking boys on field trips, and that was the first thing I ever did. I took them to on a field trip to Atlanta, Georgia, um, mm. and it took it took me you know aback because a lot of the kids here in the city of Albany don't get a chance to travel outside of the city. Uh, so many kids, you know, for us to just drive two hours to Atlanta, like to see them taking pictures of buildings and just mm. had never seen a skyscraper before. Like it's just mm. insane, you know, for them to to see wow. that with their own eyes. Um, so we took them there, took them to a few museums and we brought them back to Albany, got them free haircuts and just talked to them about, you know, some things and the questions that they were asking. I'm like, these kids don't want to be in their condition. Uh, they just need some consistency and some guidance. Immediately after that, I did an oil change workshop. I taught 20 boys how to change oil at my uncle's house. After that, I did a brake change workshop, taught 25 boys how to change brake. Uh, immediately after that, uh, I did a summer camp out of my house in my dining room uh, every day from 8 to 5 in the summertime. I had these young men. They come to my house every day uh, in my dining room. I would teach every day. I had a small dry erase board on my wall um, in there. I had got some little tables donated and I turned my dining room into like a little classroom. Um, so every day I taught those boys um, and it was a beautiful experience. Um, during that whole summer, I taught them how to grow their own food. We changed ceiling fans, changed toilets, learned how to paint, did sheetrock, um, et cetera. Like we did so many things. Um, we took mm. field trips. But what alarmed me at that time, this is where the school idea came from. Um, what alarmed me was these children, um, once we got into the reading portion of the summer camp, I was realized they couldn't read. And I'm and I'm looking at these kids in 11th and 12th grade and in 8th grade and ninth grade. I'm like, why can't you guys read? Like, I'm, I'm not understanding how you guys are passing through school and you guys literally can't read and write. And I'm, I'm talking about like kids who can't literally write at all. I'm like, how who's pushing you guys through school? There's no way you're passing tests and you can't read. There's no way you're passing tests and you can't write. It's absolutely ridiculous. So at that point, I told my boys, I was like, listen, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know when I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to start you out of school one day. Not sure how it's going to happen. We're going to have some big boy faith and we're going to make it happen. <laughs> so um, that's what we uh, believed in. And, you know, here we are. We have four buildings now. We have 40 acres of land, you know, so, wow. you know, we've, we've moved very fast, you know, in such a short amount of time. So it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, that is. What was the support initially like? Like, were you doing all of this on your own, this boot camp that you had and um, uh, like teaching kids? Were you doing this alone? Did you have support? Did you go to other people? I know like uh, a lot of this is done by volunteers, but what was the support like in the community is basically what I'm saying. Initially, um, it wasn't a lot of support, honestly. Um, I did all the on my own all the time. Um, you know, some people would come, you know, give us water and things like that. But um, you know, and I always credit those people who did believe in us, including those parents of those 20 boys who believe in a 19 year old at the time to teach their boys how to be mean. Um, so I always credit those parents, but it was never like any real big support from the city. Nobody ever really got behind me for one. Oh, you're too young. What you know about being a man? How are you going to teach these boys this, that, and the third? It was all this, you know, talk about oh, I was too young and things like that. So, you know, I did it all on my own for the the, the, the first like year and a half, two years. I mean, uh, these kids, I was cutting hair. I had to learn how to cut hair. I was fixing cars. I was painting houses mm-hmm. just to be able to support the kids in the program because I didn't have a job at the time. Uh, so that's how I fed them. That's how I took care of the program. I literally would be up at 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, finding random people hair to cut, you know, uh, in the city. I was fixing cars. I would go put up somebody's door or me and my little brother would go paint somebody's room or learn how to paint a house. You know, that's that's what I had to do uh, to support the program because we weren't getting any money. Then I had my own house to take care of, pay my own bills. You know, so this is what I had to do. Like I, I worked all the time. I was always busy trying to make sure I could take care of myself and take care of the boys uh, in the program. Um, but that's what the you know support was like in the beginning. And of course, you know, once I got a little national attention, then of course people you know started finding out about it. And um, people in the city were actually telling me they didn't have any clue about me. They was like they didn't know what I was doing. Um, et cetera. And it's just crazy because our city's, you know, a little small, but a lot of them, you know, support now have a a lot of support from our city. Uh, Some of our, you know, uh, officials don't really support me that often because I'm uh, a little critical of them sometimes. But uh, for the most part, you know, like regular people, you know, um, people love what we do um, and things like that. But the support support initially, you know, um, it wasn't that much. Um, It was just, you know, people here and there who believed in what I was trying to do. And I credit those people to this day. So. Uh, this is amazing, Randall. When I hear you talk about about teaching boys to be men, I think about the conversation I have with my own boys. We've got six kiddos in the Tate house. We have mm-hmm. this conversation around the trash can because they're they're ten and eight, and it's supposed to be their job to own mm-hmm. trash, know when it's coming, keep it moving out, and and some and sometimes they'll do it, and sometimes they they fail to do it. It's fun. Being being a man is taking responsibility. Um, yep. and, and we try to start with these little things here. Uh, what, what is it to be a man? What do you, what do you tell these young men, uh, that, it, that it means to be, to be a man? So for the most part, we don't have that conversation. I get, I actually get that question a lot. I never tell them what a man is. I always say in order to be a man, you have to see a man. So I try to emulate mm-hmm. what I want wow. them, you know, to, to see, I try to be that. Um, so I try to surround them with other men, you know, that I believe, you know, they should be able to emulate. I try to be exactly, you know, uh, what they should see. Uh, so we never have the, what is a man conversation. We never have, you know, that type of mm-hmm. conversation because I show them what it is that they need to be doing. I try to emulate that in my own life. You know, I try to show them that with other men that I bring in, other professionals, et cetera. So that way they can kind of see, you know, how they're supposed to be. Uh, boys will emulate whatever man that they're around, whether they be a good man or a bad man. And if they don't mm-hmm. have any man around, you know, then 
obviously they're going to emulate something else, you know, so we have to make sure we're saturating the areas with, you know, good, good and great men um, and trying to be the biggest influence in their lives. That's my biggest thing. If I can be the biggest influence in their lives, you know, I'm making progress, you know, so for some of the kids, you know, we have a conflict corner on Tuesdays. That's a space for the boys to come in and come talk about their issues. And uh, we've been airing it. So I know you've been seeing some of those videos, um, but, you know, for them to talk about how I've been inspiring them and, you know, how I'm, I've become their biggest influence, you know, they don't like to disappoint me and things like that. So this is what I mean, you know, by, you know, being that man, um, they just get to see it, you know, and so a lot of them are just like, I want to emulate that, you know, I want to emulate this, mm-hmm. you know, so I have to show them that we never have that. What is a man conversation? Um, I just have to be that for them. Um, and every, I think every man can do that, you know, uh, discipline them when it's time, you know, give them the right keys, give them the right wisdom uh, as much as possible, et cetera. And, you know, a lot of people always ask, you know, how I'm able to know certain things. I just tell them I had a lot of men that helped raise me. So mm-hmm. some of the things I know are come from that wisdom. Um, you know, I'm 22 years old, but a lot of things that I do know come from my uncles, my granddads, my former stepdad, my current stepdad, all those men that helped raise me. You know, I get a lot of that wisdom from them. So it's not like I just I'm just saying these things because I have the experience. I'm saying these things because I've been talking to people who've already experienced these things and who want me to be successful and who may have failed in life. Um, mm-hmm. It's always great to have a circle of elders because I don't know everything. And every day I grow, I discover I don't know anything. So <laughs> to, to, you got to repeat this quote. This is a, a great King Randall quote here to, to be a man, to see a man, to be a man, you need to see a man. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Uh, that's so important too. I think because, you know, like a lot of people will also say to me, like I'm 23 years old and I just turned 23, but a lot of people will say like, why do you share wisdom? Like, what do you know? Like, uh, you know, like you haven't gone through much in life. And I'm just like, right. well, yeah, but I've seen, like, I have had good role models in my life. You know, mm-hmm. like I've been surrounded by people who have passed down wisdom to me and I'm able to emulate that. And I think that that's right. so important. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, you went through all of this to know about it. It's more yeah. like you've observed uh, good things in your life. And now you're just putting that out into the world. And I want to ask you a question. I mean, what do you think is playing a role in the destruction of these roles um, that you're talking about? Like, what does it mean to be a man? I feel like a lot of people don't know that anymore, maybe because they haven't seen it. But what is playing a role in that? How have these uh, traditional roles been kind of destroyed? And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff like high crime rates and poverty in general in the world, but also like specifically in your community. Why do you think this is happening? Well, it's it's the to me it's the bashing of traditionalism, I guess. Um, I mean, we have wow, this, this that is an amazing. I love that. <laughs> I love you. The bashing <laughs> of traditionalism. <laughs> yeah, like uh, I tell people all the time, it's like, oh, this is not the 1960s anymore, et cetera. But I always have to bring up statistics like where well, our families were together in the 60s. Our families were doing OK. And they always have this thing. there, just like, oh, well, granddads were treating grandmas wrong back in the day. I'm just like. No, I'm like, y'all try to say that because you may have found an anecdotal piece of evidence here and there. But my granddad and my grandma doing fine. You know, they had a great relationship <laughs> growing up, you know. So and I know a lot of other people who had full families who granddad wasn't crazy or beating the grandma, nothing like that. and had a great relationship growing up. And you should sit at the feet of those people and learn something. But of course, this new day and age of everybody should be allowed to do whatever they want to do when they want to do it. Allowing kids to do whatever they want to do and they want to do it. Allow them to dress how they want to dress. Allow them to say whatever they want to say and hide 
behind all of these uh mental health issues, etc. You know, it's 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 insane. Uh, and, and nowadays it's become popular to have some type of mental disability uh, or something like that. It's popular to say, oh, I'm depressed. Oh, I have this. Like people wear it like a badge of honor now. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't understand that. You know, and it, it also plays a part in, in high suicide rates for young men and, and children, because I'm like. I'm watching a eight year old. Like I look on, on TV, an eight nine year old commit suicide. I'm like, what does a nine year old even know about killing themselves? Like it makes no yeah. sense. Like I never found out about the word suicide until I was eleven. That's when my my aunt's uh, my aunt's husband killed himself uh, when he was in jail. I had no mm. idea what the word suicide even was. Like I knew about yeah. homicide and genocide. So when I heard the word suicide, I'm thinking it's like some type of mass casualty or something like that. And he was like, oh, it's killing yourself, killing myself. What do you mean? Like, how do you even do that? Like, I was completely <laughs> dumbfounded. So you're talking about eight, nine-year-olds knowing about killing themselves and can tell you about sex and all that. You know, mm. it's, it's these phones and social media, et cetera. And people always get on me all the time because there will be no, like, real technology at our school that they can just get on, such as their cell phones, no social media. We're not watching the news. It'll be a boarding school, too. You know, so we're they're not doing any of that because I have to snatch that away, you know, from them to make sure I'm fortifying their mind. So once I fortify their minds, they can go and defend the vision and go and emulate the vision. So that way, when they get the phones back and et cetera, I've already kind of patterned their minds in a way to where mm-hmm. that just won't affect them so much. Because I can get on social media every day and get off when I need to and still act like I got some sense versus these kids, you know, on YouTube and all these indoctrination pieces and parents thinking that they could, you know, monitor their kids. I, I told parents the other day, I was like, bro, like y'all need to go check your kids' phones. And I mean, like really check them. Like these kids are sending nudes. They're talking to strangers, etc. And you think you can watch a kid's phone. He's like, oh, I watch my kid's phone. No, you can't. It's so many apps that you can download. Not a hide stuff. It's apps you can do for this, apps you can have for that. You know, I'm just yeah. like, it's, it's so many different things that you could do, you know, to, to hide stuff. I'm like, you are not able to actively monitor your child's phone in 2022. Mm-hmm. They do mm-hmm. not need a cell phone. They can have a cell phone when they get 16 or 17 or so, when they're able to pay for it on their own. They don't need a phone. Just get them a flip phone. They only need to call you and text you. They're like, oh, I need his location. Mm-hmm. You'll put an air tag on his book bag. Like, literally, yeah. you don't have to have a, a cell phone. There's so many, you know, different outlets and different ways to be able to monitor your child. And I'm just like, even back in the day, we didn't have cell phones, you know, that could track our location and stuff like that. So my mom just <laughs> knew, had to know where I was. I was at school and I got, I got came to the bus stop and that was that you know that was it that's that's how she knew where i was but uh it's, it's just it's, it's so many different things i could just go off and name you know in regards to the reasons why our children are you know being destroyed and i can say all these things now because i've observed all of it you know just yeah. watching so many different kids come in and out of the program even the juvenile court system the extra boys program is the only standing rehabilitative program for juvenile offenders in southwest georgia wow. so there are no rehab programs so i was the only rehab program running out of my house i had judges assigning kids in temporary custody to me for kids in my house like i had no type of building no nothing all i had was a llc you know and that was it but wow. you know i'm taking temporary custody of kids they've come to live with me etc and to see the 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 changes they make just from being around me and you know staying with me for a few months and you know mm. helping them do their work and then as soon as they go back home I get a call a day or two later like oh he's done this but what's crazy is when I get these kids they're like almost the most angelic kids you ever find you'll never know mm. that they had like these uh 
criminal records or uh, they've committed Grand Theft Auto or armed robbery or something. You just, he's a regular kid, but when he go back home, I'm like, mama, like, she'll call me and I'm like, oh, he did this. I'm like, who is this kid that's at your house? Because when he's at my house, he's fine. You know, my family loves him. You know, he's going mm-hmm. places. People respect him. He's a respectable young man. But when he goes back home, he's, you know, getting into this and back in jail, et cetera, like environment. So that was another reason I wanted to start a boarding school. I didn't come up with a boarding school idea until I actually started boarding kids and seeing the actual changes that I, they were really making, just having some structure and discipline, washing dishes, taking mm. out the trash, waking up at a certain time of the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's so much, you know, I could go go in and talk about uh, in regards to why so, the kids, you know, are being destroyed. So, yeah. Are you are you saying majority of the time it's it's a failure in parenting? Mm. Majority of the time. Like I'm like seeing exactly as you said, because nowadays, especially with social media and technology and all that, I see like parents giving their like six year old phones and tablet yeah. because yeah. they don't want to deal with the responsibility of actually having a kid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's insane. It is yeah. because exactly as you said, I don't think parents realize the kinds of things that a, a six-year-old can access on their tablet and their phone. Mm-hmm. I had a flip phone. I, my first phone at 16 was like this white little like flip phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't get an, a, you know, I didn't get a, an actual like I, I, iPhone or whatever until I was like 18. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, I think a majority of the times it is this, this shifting of responsibility where parents are like, I don't want to actually deal with my kid. I will just give them a tablet. I'll just give them a phone. Um, do whatever. Yep. That's exactly it. I've noticed that, you know, a lot too. Um, parents don't want to be parents anymore, but I have to give a collective, you know, responsibility to almost everybody in that area, you know, parents, school system, um, this jailhouse prison system, all that is like all those people are working together. The churches included all those people are in cahoots, you know, because there is no way that our systems are still failing when all of you guys are continuing to get this funding and telling, you know, all the government systems, why our communities are so bad for you to keep getting more funding. And I keep telling people they're not going to fix these issues that, that are simple fixes that, that this is not any major stuff that they have to do for these kids. It's simple little fixes that they could do, such as, you know, disciplinary actions and uh, things like that and watching children at school, et cetera. Like, these are little small things that they could do to make sure these schools are developing, but they won't keep getting the funding if the schools are not failing. They won't keep getting the funding if the city's not as, not still in poverty. You know, uh, the, the, the churches, all these people benefit from that, you know, simply because of the, the city's failing. So the biggest, nicest building in the city of Albany is a church, like literally the biggest, nicest yeah. building in, in Albany is a church. You know, it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful church in the yeah. worst city in the country. You know, so it's, it's, it's absolutely upsetting, but you know, all these people are in cahoots, you know, but uh, it's it's so many, it's a collective effort, you know, for our kids failing right now, man. And you just, as long mm-hmm. as we try to, you know, fix these environments for them, I believe it's environment. And that's yeah. the thing an environment plays in parents, school, church, et cetera. It's an environmental issue. If we can fix their environments for them, I definitely believe the children could change a whole lot. You know, I, I think I started following you probably a year ago or more. I think I first saw you on Fox News. And, you know, my first three years out of college, I taught in inner city New York. I taught in Brooklyn. Uh, the population was, was 100% minority students. It was probably two-thirds Black and about a third Latino. Um, and many things I've heard you describe. I and mean, this is a school where, where kids got caught having sex in the bathroom, you know, and gangs and drugs. And the students who were doing the best, the valedictorian, the students, the, the very few students that had really, really good grades. Um, they were some of the only students that had at least an involved man 
And I'm probably going to have somebody tell me that I'm sexist for saying that. But for most of the kids, there was an involved aunt or grandma or mom. But for very few, there was an involved father or man. And that seemed to be the differentiator. Um, can you comment on that? I mean, in, in an age where to even say dads matter, like some people get upset. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I've heard, I've heard somebody tell me one time when I was talking about the need for our fathers, they were trying to say that um, I was discounting the work of single moms. And I was just like that, that me saying that, you know, boys need fathers has nothing to do with, you know, a single mom saying she needs help. And, you know, a father is there. If anything, I'm trying to alleviate her issue. But nowadays it's, it's, um, um, you wear it as a badge of honor to be a single mom. Like that's something we used to look down upon. Like, you know, that's a badge now. Like, oh yes, I'm a strong, you know, single mom, you know, but you're failing this kid. And I had to explain, you know, this to, I had an older parent in my program. She's a foster mom and she fosters kids. She had to explain to some of those younger parents, to the moms in my program, like, look, I'm an older woman. I was raised traditionally. I had my mom, my dad. You need to understand that we cannot, as a a woman, raise a boy. Just as simple as that. We cannot teach him how to be a man because we are not. Now, sure, you have some of those guys that be like, oh, man, you know, my mama raised me, you know, and I became a good person. Or they'll say, well, some people had a dad and they still became a murderer. But, yeah, sure, that's anecdotal pieces of evidence. But for the most part, boys need fathers and girls need their moms. You know, I can't I'm not going to sit here and say that I can raise a daughter to be a perfect woman. I can't do that. I'm not a woman. You know, so but you nobody would get mad at me saying that so but i had an argument with his older guy because he was raised by his mom and i was just like you know um you know women can't raise men and she, he was like well i turned out to be a nice man and my mama raised me i'm like bro come on bro like i would never say out of my mouth that i can raise a, a woman just as good as a woman can that makes no sense I, I would never say that you know so i don't feel like women you know should be able to say that they can raise uh, a boy just as good as a man can that is that is not that's not conducive <laughs> to anything, you know, real. Um, yeah. I just can't do it. That, but that's me being honest. I can't raise a woman and she can't raise a man. We have to, it's a balance there. We have to collectively raise our children. You know, we have to have a village. Um, and I was telling the guy earlier, I, like um, one of my parents made a, a review post and was praising, the, um, you know, me and her husband for, you know, changing their son. And God was like, hmm. oh, well, you know, to be honest, I, don't, I feel like it's weird because he has a father in the home and, you know, he wasn't able to affect him. I'm like, dude, I'm like, I had like six, seven guys raise me. Like, it wasn't just my dad. Like, I have a lot of men in my circle. You know, they, they're they supposed to be like that. We both collectively should have an impact, hmm. you know, on that child. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's not supposed to just be one person. You know, I have to go reiterate what his dad may be saying or his dad may have to reiterate something that I'm saying. He had to have that circle of men. You know, we have to pinball off each other with these kids you know because he'll jump from me to dad and from dad to uncle and from uncle to granddad you know but we all have to be pinballing off each other but these men are important uh in these areas but um just seeing the changes that these boys are making i know we talk about toxic masculinity but i believe toxic masculinity (laughs) is just too much femininity a lot of these boys are just around women too much you know and i have to explain to boys people are always saying well you know these kids are so angry and they'll go shoot somebody for anything etc i'm like i need you to understand again a man has a different type of strength. A man can kill you once he gets extremely angry. But a woman doesn't really have a cap, but she doesn't have to because she can't just easily just kill me with her bare hands. But she's not strong enough to do that. I can do that. A, a man can in his 
full rage. So once a boy gets a woman's angry, he'll shoot you for stepping on his shoe. He'll shoot you or kill you or beat you down. He'll beat you with a brick, whatever. All these crazy killings y'all hearing these young guys do, you know, who were raised by their mom. They're getting their moms angry. They're get, they don't have no cap. My granddad taught me to never stand up when having an argument. You know, all these little small little details, you know, that granddad taught or my uncle taught me and stuff like that. These kids are not learning those things. So all they've ever seen is their mom get angry and throwing stuff and blah, 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 or whatever. When she gets mad because she's already frustrated and working 10 jobs and got six kids and blah, blah, blah. So the only time that's the only person they've ever seen get angry. So when they get that type of angry guy step on their shoe at school, they beat the brakes off of them. Guys, guys mm. come say something about your mama. They shoot them like this is what's going on like one of my kids in the program he's 13 he's already been shot he's been shot because oh they made a bad video about my homeboy i made a video about them and they came and shot us like bro like just dumb stuff like that like it's oh. it's little stuff but he's never had a dad in his life i'm the first man in his life so once i came into his life now he's back in school he's got his grades up he's got out the gang etc like it's literally surrounding them with the right men now some of this stuff i might say they may take it and try to, you know, fix it up a little bit because it's a little sensitive subject. But this is just what I deal with in experience with working with my boys. Um, and that's that's literally what I've dealt with for the past three years. And I can say these things because these are the experiences that I'm having. I'm speaking on my experience mm -hmm. and my experience only. So, mm -hmm. no, that makes sense, because, I mean, it, it's so controversial now to even say that a man and a woman experience emotions differently and they pass those emotions differently. But why is that a controversial thing to say? I mean, in a, in a society so where we're in a, in a modern society where we're kind of obsessed with science, you would think that people would take biology seriously, like the biology right. of emotions, yes. but they right. don't, yes. right? right. <laughs> the biology yep. of a male and a female are different, but people refuse to accept that. Um, but I, I'm kind of like shifting gears here. You were talking about how, you know, a lot of these young men that you, you see, they have a lot of anger stored up and they have a lot of these emotions kind of stored up. How does teaching young men to like build with their hands and to learn a skill or a trade to learn to read and write? How does that redirect that anger and that, you know, trauma or whatever they've gone through? How do you redirect that and mold them into better human beings through these skills? Absolutely. Um, well, not even just a skills piece. I know I just mentioned conflict corner. So we have to have a space for our boys to be able to kind of talk about what it is that they're going through, have somebody to be able to to vent to, et cetera. They need to be able to talk. And it's almost like our little therapy sessions for them to just talk about their issues. And we kind of give them wisdom about some of the things they may be saying, um, but also channeling that anger through the skill trades. A lot of kids don't even know what it is that they're interested in because they've never been introduced to so many things. So it's like they don't know what they don't know. So the kids, you know, have learned how to will. We've done firearms training. You know, we've taught them how to ride horses. They've done they've harvested animals. We've grown our own food like these things that they don't know that they're interested in. So they don't even have time to be angry. And that's something I want to you know make sure I have for them. Like the kids are so busy all the time. If I have something for them to do every day, all day, so they don't have time to be mad. They're constantly thinking about what they can do with that dream they just found out about you know so channeling that energy to something else is is quite easy if you just give them you know uh, the right tools and, and introduce them to things uh, that they may like um, because a lot of them don't know what they don't know they don't know they may like you know something different they don't know that they like 
uh, welding. They don't know that they like firearms, you know, like just things like that. And I know some people have a little issue with me teaching the boys firearms. They're like, oh, why are you teaching these kids, you know, firearms? They were in gangs, etc. I'm like, no, I have to teach them to respect the weapon, teach them how to mm-hmm. properly use it, etc. Because obviously I'm like, would you rather me teach them or the streets teach them? Because they're going to learn anyway. So you might as well let me teach them the correct way and let them let me get it out of their system. Because a lot of them just want to shoot it because they itching and they see their friends with it. They want to take pictures and blah, blah, blah. But once I actually, you know, take that out of their system, it's not something they just have to do anymore. Um, but, you know, the guy on the street telling you about it, you know, and you go go shoot somebody, et cetera. Like it's, it's, it's so much that goes into that, but man, uh, the skill trades is, is, is a big portion for me. And I know a lot of people see me do the skill trades, but that's just me trying to introduce them to, to different things in life. That's my way to have discussions with them. That's my way to, to introduce certain conversations, you know, just giving them uh, different tools and outlets to be able to talk and, and express themselves. And, Oh, I didn't know I liked it. This, you know, I, I might want to try this because every kid's not going to be good at school. Every kid doesn't want to go to college, but I want to make sure I don't ostracize any of them. I want to prepare the kids that want to go to college to go to college and prepare those kids who want to go, uh, you know, to the skilled trade school or not even the skilled trade school, open their own business in a trade or whatever. I want to prepare them for that. My computer geek kids, they learn how to build a computer maybe like a few months ago, you know, so like I have different types of kids, but I want to try to make sure I help them all in their different areas. I want to try to make sure people are around to help them. And that way they don't have time to be angry. They don't have time to be mad at each other. And we're fostering an environment where they have to work together all the time. Um, And one of the things that I do in the program is I discipline everybody together. Um, so if, if one of the kids, if I tell everybody to stop talking and then one kid continues talking, I make everybody get in trouble because why are you just, why did you tell him to be quiet? Why did you allow him to continue talking? And one of my favorite quotes, uh, that I say all the time, they laugh at, but it's a synonymous phrase with us now is, um, if I got weed, we all got weed. I say that because if I'm in the car and I got marijuana, everybody got marijuana if we in the car, you know? So uh-huh. uh, we, I say that all the time, but I have to tell them to be accountable for each other. And so now, you know, they, they discipline each other. They check each other like, bro, stop doing that. We're going to get in trouble. You know, stop doing that. You know, we're going to get in trouble. But what they don't realize I'm doing is making sure they're looking out for their brother on the outside too, because what's going to happen is, bro, why are you doing that, bro? We're going to go to jail. Like, I'm not doing that with you, bro. Like we're going to go, we're going to get in trouble. You know, it's, it's being accountable for each other versus that whole, oh, we snitching on each other, you know, type stuff. I'm not going to be no snitch and all that. Okay, cool. You're not going to be no snitch. Well, everybody getting in trouble then. Come on. Everybody go outside since everybody's going to go do high knees. Everybody's going to do bear crawling. Everybody's going to do push-ups, et cetera, because you don't want to tell. So everybody's going to get it. Um, but that's how it is. You know, I have to try to find little small ways to make them work together and, and not want to be angry with each other. I have to make them work together all the time to be successful. And once I do that, I'm just fortifying their mindset mm-hmm. to work as a team as they get older. So it's not really uh, too hard, you know, uh, getting them to, to channel that anger. Um, it's just, you know, giving them things to do and uh, teaching them how to move that energy elsewhere to something more positive. You know, what you were doing is so, 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 amazing. And it just seems to come naturally to you. Like, yeah, of course, this is what I would be doing. Um, you know, Rena, on the Anchor podcast, we talk a lot about classical education. And I spent 10 years in a regular public school. Uh, one of the big differentiators with classical education is that it's fundamentally aimed towards uh, the cultivation of virtue and character development, um, mm-hmm. which is essentially the kind of education you've also been describing. Um, but what we haven't really talked about yet is kind of the content um, and, you know, the, the content, would it be very similar uh, in terms of curriculum or is it going to be pretty different from a mainstream uh, public school? 
Yeah. So, um, of course, we have curriculums that we could probably try and build off of, but we're trying to develop our own curriculum at the moment. Um, We want to develop our own curriculum, obviously, because uh, I feel like I found a solution that I haven't seen elsewhere. Um, And that's just me being honest, not that I have the only solution or that's just what I'm saying I see. Um, And what I'm doing is working. So we're going to develop a curriculum around how I teach and what other teachers who have been in the school systems before, et cetera, believe could help, you know, uh, push us forward. So I actually just went to visit the Michaela Community School in London, uh, maybe a month or two ago with Miss Catherine. I was supposed to be there two weeks ago and we canceled very last minute. Uh, oh, but yeah. I heard it's, it's amazing. I, I was it's, it's, let me tell you, um, you have to see it in person. Uh, I mean, um, the, any any news article online, any picture you see, even a video I did, it doesn't know justice. You have to see that school wow. operate in its full function with your eyeballs. Um, that's yeah. the most beautiful school I've ever seen in my life. But what's crazy is once I now her, her school's been running for a little while now, but once I got there to see Miss Catherine and her students literally doing some of the things that I implement with my boys was the craziest mm-hmm. thing. I came and Miss Catherine was like, she said, you're the first person literally to understand, you know, some of the things that I say. I'm like, yeah, like, but I was telling her also some of the ideas, you know, that I do with my boys and something that could probably help at their school too, because I was like, well, maybe you could try doing this and this will, you know, fix that. Mm-hmm. And I'll take some of her ideas. Like, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, she's going to come visit our school um, once we open up and kind of get situated and kind of give me some ideas and critiques and things like that. But that school's run to perfection, man. I mean, um, no blemishes, yeah. no bumps, nothing. I mean, even how the, the teachers grade themselves, et cetera. Um, but that's what I try to do. Try to go and find, you know, different uh, areas who are who doing who are doing what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And um, try to emulate some of the things that they're doing, find out what they mis- their mistakes were, et cetera. So I plan to go visit some more boarding schools uh, here in the States um, and just try and see uh, what I could do um, as far as uh, implementing things at our school to make to make it work. Um, but our curriculum is being developed with uh, former superintendents, uh, former teachers, as well as myself and other men um, that have been on board uh, with our program. So love that. And I, I got to do a quick plug here. Uh, again, the name that, that Randall just mentioned is Catherine Burblesing, and the school is a Michaela school in London. Um, if you have not already listened to that episode of the Anchor Podcast, it was one of the, the first ones that we did in the first three months. Uh, so go back and listen to that. It's really amazing. Um, she is known as the strictest head of school in England. Um, Rand- mm, it's, the, it's the world. It's the world. In the world. <laughs> uh, <Yeah. laughs> in the world. And I've only met her via Zoom. But when you meet her in person, she's she's actually very warm uh, from what I have She's heard. so nice. She's the nicest person you're ever going to meet. <laughs> no mm. doubt. <laughs> Love that. That's awesome. So Randall, you mentioned this school that you're opening up in fall of 2022. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, what's the work that's going into that and how do you expect it to, you know, positively change your community? Absolutely. Well, we'll be opening a life preparatory school for boys uh, in fall of 2022. Um, right now, uh, we just purchased the school building uh, back in November. It's 41,000 square feet. We have a basketball gym, 25 classrooms. Uh, we have a, a, a chapel. I mean, uh, it's a pretty huge location. Um, it's, it, it's, it's awesome. Uh, so right now uh, we're working on getting an inspection done. We just had it cleaned up. Um, it's, it was vacant for maybe about a year or two, um, but we just had it cleaned up really good. And we're getting an inspection done Thursday. Once we get the inspection done, we'll know everything that's wrong with school from top to bottom, all the bells and whistles. Uh, we'll do a video of that, um, of the ending of the, the inspection. So people who've been asking how to help and how to volunteer, uh, we'll make sure we upload the entire uh 
uh, inspection report as well as the video so people could see. We're going to create a wish list for Home Depot and Lowe's uh, for people who want to help. We'll also have a volunteer weekend uh, in March because people have been asking, could they actually come to the school and help? Uh, so we'll have a volunteer weekend for people to come help us actually work on the school, come help us paint, come help us put new furniture in, whatever people want to come in and help us with, um, people can. Uh, so we'll be doing that. So kind of right now we're in the process of getting it cosmetically ready, as well as in the background of, you know, working on the curriculum. Um, and we decided already that we'll start with sixth grade students. Uh, we're going to start with 56 graders and uh, we're going to grow them through the school. Um, so we're going to start in sixth grade and we're going to move to seventh and sixth the next year. And then the year after that, we're going to go to eighth, seventh and sixth, and then so on and so forth. Um, so that we can grow those kids all the way through uh, the 12th grade. Uh, that's what we plan to do uh, with those students. Um, and of course, opening other schools across uh, Georgia and across the country. Eventually, um, people have been asking. I just want to make sure I have a full blueprint ready, you know, and get all of our ducks in a row so I can say this is what's going to happen. This is how you open this school and we'll go other places and and make uh, the life preparatory school for boys elsewhere. Um, so that's kind of like where we are right now. Um, just kind of getting ready to work on the building. We're working out of it already. You know, we're doing our book club and conflict corner there. It's not like um, it's inoperable. It's just certain things needs to be fixed before we can actually open as an actual fully functioning school. Um, so we have a lot of HVAC issues, roofing, um, cosmetic repair, it's, it's a uh, I don't know how many air conditioning units it is there, but it's a lot. It's already it's four in the gym alone. Um, then we have like two in the chapel, and like it's it's a big facility. So it's a it's air conditioning units everywhere. Uh, so it's, it's a big facility, but I think only like two of them work, and they're probably on their last leg. It's an older older building, so um, we're just excited to go ahead and start working on it. But that's where we're at. Um, we plan to open in fall of 2022, and we'll have a grand opening banquet, and of course we'll set up tours for people to come tour the school. Um, they can just sign up on the website and come whenever they please. And um, I'll give them a tour of the school. And eventually I'll have my boys start giving tours of the school um, so they can talk about their own school themselves. Um, so I'm just excited about it. Um, I'm ready for it to open up. And um, it's been a long time coming, a lot of battling, a lot of fighting, and, you know, we're, we're making it work. So. Um, Randall, is it going to be kind of embarrassing for the local superintendent of the public school uh, when, when, when he or she sees that here you come along 22 and have created something far more effective with far better outcomes. I mean, how, how is the, cause you're challenging the establishment and mm -hmm. you really are. Uh, are you getting pushback for doing so by the way? Oh yeah. Our school is actually supposed to be open already. We were supposed to open uh, fall of 2021. We were supposed to be open last year, um, but we had a big battle with our local school system because we were actually trying to purchase a, a old abandoned school building from them. It was up for demolition. Um, and I talked to the superintendent about it. They agreed to sell it to us. So, um, we were getting into, you know, them selling us a school. Um, and, you know, we're just going to buy it outright, you know, and, you know, go ahead and do what we were doing with it. But, you know, they decided they want to have a partnership with us. And I didn't mind it because I was like, oh, cool. Well, we don't have to be in, you know, competition. All those school board members are black people, except mm -hmm. for two of them. You know, so I'm just like, maybe they just want to, you know, all, you know, we can collectively help the kids. I was like, well, maybe I could get some of, some of the more like kids from the alternative schools or whatever. Like I try to make it work with them. I was like, no, cool. They were like, oh, we could provide the school buses. We could help provide teachers. You can use your curriculum. You know, um, we'll do the feeding cafeteria, all that stuff. I'm like, all right, bet we'll do school buses, whatever. I'm like, this sounds great. You know, this is a great idea. You know, I'm like, cool. You know, um, so I didn't have a problem with that. Um, they were talking about the funding for the kids and how the kids will get funding and how they still, you know, graduate from my school and, you know, things like that. They just be assisting and helping us out. I'm like, all right, cool. This is a great deal. You know, we can work together. You know, he was like, we can do a big press release, blah, blah, blah. And um, I get the contract back. 
for the the purchase of the school, and then I get six special stipulations in the contract. And I'm like, I never discussed these stipulations. This is why is this in the contract? But um, it's six special stipulations. They had nothing to do with us purchasing the school. But the one stipulation that was the the biggest, you know, cutoff was uh, it said that the the deed of conveyance um, shall contain a use restriction that the property cannot be used as a private or a charter school unless the curriculum is taught by a Doherty County school system. And I was like, that's not going to work. I'm like, so you're basically handcuffing me and telling me that I cannot open a private or a charter school unless you teach the curriculum. No. Mm-hmm. Why would I sign that? That makes no sense. You know, I was just like, that's, that's not going to work. So, you know, we tried to talk to him about it for a month or two or whatever, but never worked out, never got back with us, never answered any phone calls. So I went on Fox News, blasted him, had a big shebang in the city. Um, <laughs> my, my city thrashed me for that because they were like, oh, you trying to get him fired from his job and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I didn't get him fired, trying to get him fired from his job. I just told exactly what happened in, in this contract. I didn't say he did anything bad or anything. I just simply said what happened. So, um, you know, this, the my, my city thrashed me for that. Um, you know, they were saying, um, cause most of, like I told you, I don't get a lot of support from the city anyway, but they thrashed me, uh, wrote newspaper articles, lying on these podcasts. I mean, it was insane. Like, but I never responded to anybody. I never responded to anything. I never made any statements, nothing. I just let them have it. I let everybody talk all the trash they wanted to had some pastors sit me in a private Mm. meeting and they were like, you need to sit down and you're doing too much. And you act like you're the only person out here doing work and blah, 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 blah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, they were like literally on my neck about that. Um, but mainly because they saw that I have my own, you know, power and I don't need them. Um, and that's what the click is, you know, uh, uh, like kind of how they run things at Albany. People need them for everything. They've never seen, you know, anybody not need them for nothing and still able to Mm. make power moves in the city. Uh, so that, that delayed us uh, a whole lot. And our past summer camp, I had to have the summer camp at my grandmother's house because we were supposed to have it at the school, but we weren't able to have it. So my grandmother has a nice size house and I had 36 kids uh, staying at my grandmother's house for the entire summer. It was it's an interesting time. This, probably this is incredible. Tiring, tiring two months I ever had in my life, but <laughs> it was it was great. Uh, we this, had a good time. I mean, there, there's nothing in kind of defense of the establishment in a way, right? There, there is nothing harder than being forced to kind of look in the mirror and to see that you have failed children. And in many yeah. ways, like your work forces people to confront that reality. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're all in, like you're living with these kids for, for yeah. months, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're sacrificing everything to do this, um, Fantastic. Uh, Aruba and I, we, we always conclude the Anchor podcast uh, talking about books. Um, okay. uh, the book maybe that has been most formative for you, most influential for you in your thinking. Maybe there's a book that you you try to get into the hands of your students as well. Uh, Randall, what is that for you? Uh, well, right now, the boys and I are reading Up From Slavery in our book club. Um, mainly, I've been reading that book because so many people recommended me to check out Booker T. Washington because they were comparing mm-hmm. me you know, uh, to him and what he did with Tuskegee. Uh, so ever since I've been reading that book, you know, it's been a huge inspiration to me, uh, seeing what he's been doing, even watching some of his documentaries and literally listening to them explain who Booker T. Washington is. You know, my boys are just like, King, that's exactly what you're doing, Mr. King. Like that's, he doing the same stuff you, you're doing now, you know? And I was just like taking it back. Cause we were literally like almost walking the same path, you know, um, almost, to the T, um, just in who you're speaking to, uh, how you're going about trying to get the school open, you know, buying land, etc. Like this is this is what we're doing. Um, but you know, I'm enjoying it to the fullest. Um, but yeah, Up from Slavery uh, by Booker mm-hmm. T. Washington is probably the most influential book 
um, in my life uh, right now. So. Fantastic. Uh, again, we are here with the one and only King Randall. Uh, you are changing the world uh, and you're doing it at 22. So uh, what an honor. What an honor to have you on the program. Uh, thank you for your boldness, your, your courage uh, as well. Speaking truth. Uh, I, I think that the, the, the next generation desperately needs men like you doing exactly what you were doing. So uh, thank you and keep up the great work. I appreciate you all. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.